360 Ed TV is brought to you by Rice Studios and Agility. Today we have uh, Draw Ben Name, who's the CEO of Smart Sparrow. Draw, uh, we first came across Smart Sparrow a little while ago at iDesignX in Brisbane, uh, where we spoke with Dominic. Um, and more recently, we had the pleasure of getting along to the Learning Innovation Summit that you uh, co-sponsored with Deacon and a few others, and we'll speak to that shortly. But welcome to 360 TV, Draw. Thank you. Great to be here. Congratulations on the success of the Innovation Summit that I just referred to. Uh, for those who did get along, it was a great event in Melbourne. I have to say, uh, the turnout was extraordinary. Uh, the room was packed. Uh, you were scrambling for chairs. Um, the uptake was probably more than you possibly you expected, certainly more than I, I thought for the, for the first time. Uh, and the quality of the speakers, I thought, was really, really interesting. Just a, Thank you. out of the blocks, uh, how did the collaboration come about between Smart Sparrow and Deacon and UNSW? You had Best Networks in there. I see the T-shirt. And Edge of Growth. Uh, how did that come about? Yeah. Um, Smart Sparrow was doing uh, typical such forums and events. Um, even since we were a very, very small startup, uh, mm. Nine People was our first forum, Adaptive Learning Forum, in 2012. We were only a company of nine people, and we, we hosted an event for about 150 professors and flew people from um, MIT and Arizona State. So, um, so that's been our tradition. And in the years, in the past years, we almost almost every year or two, we conducted such a forum or a summit, mm. and we always partner with uh, a university. Uh, as a host, as a, as a collaboration, as a co-sponsorship. Uh, for us, it's the epitome of driving innovation is the partnerships between academia and, uh, and, the, and the technology companies and ultimately serving the faculty members and students. So we always, that was the thing that was, uh, um, drives those, those initiatives. And the, uh, we've been collaborating with UNSW and Deacon for a long time now uh, in, mm. as a partners as well as, uh, as a commercial engagement. So it was just a matter of time until we find any you know, way, shape or form in which we can uh, work together. So the 2017 Learning Innovation Summit at Deacon in Melbourne was the culmination of uh, a lot of, the, of the, uh, the intentions and the work and the philosophy that drives the partnership. UNSW is also a co-sponsor. Best Network is a collaboration of medical schools that mm. uh, it stands for the Biomedical Education Skill and Training Network. Um, there, it's it's another non-profit organization dedicated for uh, learning innovation. Um, we only came to learn EduGrowth recently, uh, and we just hit it right away. We we share the same passion, the same vision. So, yeah. um, that's how the collaboration came came about. No, thank you, thank you. And, and for our subscribers, uh, we have a previous session with uh, Nick Hawkins, who's the um, the chair of Best Networks uh, out of U uh, University of Queensland. So if you get the chance, go back and have a look at that uh, particular episode. Some really good insights from Nick uh, around his area of expertise too, around pedagogy uh, in the uh, uh, medical space. Um, draw. I was really impressed with... Uh, Bridget Burns and the work that uh, the University Innovation Alliance has been doing in the US. Um, were there any particular highlights for you? I mean, 
your session was great, but uh, there were some others as well that, uh, that really caught uh, my eye. Look, the University Innovation Alliance is just a great example of the power of networks, mm. academics mm. and institutions to drive innovation and change at a scale. Bridget is, is awesome. She's great. She has passion, but mm. not only passion, but also capability to drive change. And that is a rare commodity. Um, uh, so, you know, we've been, we, I know Bridges for a few years now, we uh, often uh, go to the same type of events here in the US and present on panels and so forth. And I've just always been really inspired by the way they, they do it. And for me, the biggest uh, um, takeaway or the highlight it's just the, the simplicity of the value of coming up together as a network, as a team, and then of the, um, the, the, the basics, uh, you know, running efficient workshops, following up on changes, r driving the projects well, the innovation projects well, uh, that, that's highlighting. So I'm so glad that Bridge could join us. It was the last yeah. minute, it was a last minute uh, 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 arrangements and, and she literally landed that morning and, and was able to deliver a fantastic keynote so it was I think uh, the energy in the room was testament for how her her messages were uh, received really well by the audience yeah it was a it was a stellar effort I have to say and again just linking back there is actually a uh, another episode where uh, Bridget speaks about the work that she uh, has been doing with a case study with Georgia State around how Georgia State Uni has uh, mitigated uh, the traditional kinds of predictors of success around ethnicity, uh, circumstance, a, a really interesting case study. Now, the data will be released next year, so I'd I would really encourage anybody to kind of circle back and see if uh, that data is of interest to them. Draw um, from my own experience with uh, uh, US companies, blackboard startups, working with... Uh, with a whole variety of folk over the, the journey, um, it's clear that the uni space has always been a fertile ground. Anyone with vision, anyone with drive and a modicum of luck uh, has had opportunities. Uh, and those opportunities have been particularly important, I think, in the, in the space of learning management, course management systems. Back in the 1990s, early 2000s, you know, we saw the purest expressions of Blackboard and WebCT and Angel Moodle, D2L, all springing out of universities. Um, Moodle obviously coming out of University of Western Australia, but uh, you know WebCT coming out of, I think it was British Columbia, Vancouver there, uh, Blackboard out of Washington. Those entrepreneurs created a multi-billion dollar industry that we see today, just in the education space, not even to talk about the corporate space. Um, Smart Sparrow has taken uh, on that space in a sense, but what you're doing is fundamentally different from those sorts of earlier platforms and for, for good reasons. Um, draw, I guess first, can you share a little of the beginnings of Smart Sparrow and the early development of the adaptive learning platform? And I'm particularly interested in kind of the learnings that some of the, the young entrepreneurs at a place like EduGrowth might be able to learn from uh, a seasoned head and a success such as yourself. Um, okay. The um, what you're describing is true, um, and it's worth to take a step back and trying to understand what happens in education, higher education that was enabling that to happen. And mm. so this thing called internet happened, right? And then there was an insight, um, 
in multiple places at the same time that uh, we can teach using that new medium. And uh, early solutions were really solving for what I call access. And, and the paradigm was, mm. let's put the content online. And when you are, that's the paradigm to which you're solving for, you end up with a solution like an LMS, which is effectively an enterprise system that a university buys that allows each one of its faculty to put their content online for their mm. students. Mm. Uh, that paradigm was driving the, the first wave of digitization of, of education, if you want. Uh, but there's a new wave coming. And now the paradigm has changed, and, and the paradigm is now not just how do we put the content online, we're talking about how do we design learning experiences from scratch for the digital medium. And, and those experiences are no longer the old, the old generation of static content, and um, they, they are much more interactive, they are much more engaging and personalized. So yeah. suddenly, you have these three keywords, designing from scratch, so design, and then uh, personalization and engagement. And it just requires a whole new set of technologies and, and, and platforms. So um, for us, the journey started back in 2004. I was a student doing physics and computer science at UNSW. And I remember I went to the web city. I, I went to the LMS. And I remember the feeling of disappointment when I discovered that all we could think of in terms of using the soft, software technology uh, and, the, and the internet as a, me, as a medium, uh, all we could use was like posting PDFs to the website. And it started a conversation, fertile conversation with my professor at the time, Professor Mike Gall. And I said, I bet we can do something better. And he challenged me to, to try something in, in, you know, in a course in physics. And I ended up building from scratch a certain solution. It was a virtual laboratory. And it was adaptive, and it was smart, and it was interactive, and it was engaging. But it was all custom built. I built everything from scratch. So the next challenge was to say, how do you enable faculty members or academics to uh, use what I created, but to adapt it to their own needs, to change it, to even create their own stuff? And that's where the, the idea of a platform was born. The fact that we, it's not just about creating pieces of content, sophisticated and gamified and whatnot, but it's actually about creating tools that allow other people to teach with them, edit them, change them, adapt them, share them, and create from scratch as well. So that's where Smart Sparrows, it was, it was always heading to, to say, okay, the current generation solutions are already established, already working, but mm -hmm. everybody agreed that they are not solving for what we want. So the first question, what do we want? People talk about personalization, and adaptive is a sub-phrase sub there. People talk about a personalization, they talk about engagement, they talk about the need for design. So SmartSpire was, was an attempt to solve those problems in, in using a series of tools and, and software technology for the higher education space. Mm -hmm. um, regarding your second question about key learning and messages that I would be happy to share with uh, uh, users, I guess my biggest learning was that uh, you can't get it right on the first go. You, you need to think about milestones. So for us nowadays, every new project, every new idea, every new... Uh, product, it's we're thinking in terms of okay, what's step one, two, and three in you know, order to get it? So, so it's it's uh, articulated in the Lean Startup uh, book as uh, build, measure, learn. It's a really useful method for creating products and services. The so the idea there is that you find an early client, you 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 do everything you can you know to delight them. You try to figure out what is it that they need and how they're going to work in their world and they're solving their problem. 
And then, then the biggest challenge is to obviously generalize from the single specific need of a single yeah. client to a generalized solution that, that works at scale. If you can do that, you've got a business. And my, my biggest tip, therefore, is to, to go there straight away, to just uh, find a client that's willing to give you a go and solve for them and, and then figure out how you, you generalize and in, in to, to deliver a, a something for other people as well. That's kind of my journey in a nutshell. Thank you. And, and it really does align with the sharings that I think those young entrepreneurs have been taking away from EduGrowth. Uh, EduGrowth, one of its key fun, uh, functions is to provide a conduit for these new startups to actually talk to uh, universities. And uh, I speak with Beverly Oliver uh, earlier in the week, and she actually talked about that as a key output for her, the fact that they were able to, universities were able to see at fairly executive levels what was coming down the pipe and they could make some determinations about where they wanted to place, I guess, some chips on the table, who they wanted to engage with, what kind of research might come out of that. So um, it's, I think the important piece for entrepreneurs is exactly as you say, get in early, make those connections and find someone who will work with you to get to have a crack. Yeah. Um, exactly. Draw at the summit, uh, Smart Sparrow uh, kind of repivoted a little bit. It's, it's messaging uh, more towards a course development platform. What does this repivot mean uh, for the, the broader Smart Sparrow community in real terms? Um, it's make the language a bit uh, tighter and more accurate. Um, we, it's not really a pivoting more than it is uh, rebranding or really reframing the product. When we started, the phrase mm. adaptive learning was not used. We, we invented adaptive learning. You can, mm. uh, we, our research group was called Adaptive E-Learning Research Group. We, uh, we have the domain adaptiveelearning.com and it's, uh, we bought it in 2006. Uh, that's be before any other company who said the word adaptive. Mm. Adaptive learning was an area of research for a while and and, and then our research group was, was thinking very early on as, uh, at the University of New South Wales when I didn't, I didn't, I don't know if I mentioned in this interview, but my journey that started in 2004, 2005, I was admitted to do a PhD in that space. And then 2006 mm. on, onwards to, to, to 11, we were actually a research group. We had grant funding. We worked with inside universities to innovate, um, writing papers and so forth. And then at some stage, we basically pivoted. That team became the, the company Smart Sparrow. So that's that's not a usual journey for a startup. Uh, mm. It has its it has its uh, benefits, but it has also its challenges because uh, the time scale is just enormous. We have spent five years inside a R and D uh, phase. Uh, not many people can afford that. So well, we're very fortunate in that way. But anyway, we kind of invented adaptive learning, and 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 back then it was uh, how we felt. Uh, is what the emphasis of what our solution was provide is the ability to adapt to learners. But, um, you know, based, since then, since those early days, there's been a massive hype in the adaptive learning space and it became a massive buzzword. And it started to lose some of its meaning when every solution was describing itself as adaptive, that was no longer useful as a way, as a way to, uh, to explain what you're trying to do. Uh, ultimately, we felt that courseware development platform, not course development platform, courseware, is it's just a better, a better description of what the technology we're working on is doing. And, um, and, and it's driven by the insight that uh, courseware or digital learning experiences are not, uh, they are software. If, if you think of a piece of courseware as software as opposed to content, 
you start applying the rigor and, and process of creating great software and you stand just a better chance in achieving your goals, your educational goals. If you think about it in terms of content, you go like, okay, where's the content? It's in a textbook or it's on Wikipedia or it's on some sort of resources. Okay, let's put the, give the students the content. You don't teach students by give the students the content to them. Uh, if that was the case, we would be, we would, we, you know, it would be enough to just send students to the library to learn. It's not enough. Uh, so for us, the, the key insight was that people are creating courseware. Uh, it is a type of software. It's software for learning. And that requires a, a development platform, just like games, who, uh, games development platform or mobile application development platform or desktop application or web application development platform. And that is just the represents also the evolution that the market is going through as it becoming more and more professionalized, the process of creating digital learning experiences. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, it strikes me that, uh, and you're right, that, that, that I guess um, diluting of the idea of adaptive, uh, you look at adaptive platforms in a whole variety of areas, and the personalization component is pushed so hard by so many vendors. But as, I, as I'm hearing you, you're kind of flipping that to say, well, this is more about personalizing the ability to create courseware in a way which is going to be more engaging, more authentic in terms of the learning uh, activities that the students will engage in. Ultimately, the challenge that our market faces is that um, what we really want is high-quality learning experiences. Yep. Uh, and you can't go and market a product that says, I've got a product for high-quality learning experiences because it's subjective and, like, what is quality even anyway? Mm. Uh, so people go and say, all right, uh, the marketing teams in, you know, a bit misguided marketing teams in, 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 in companies just like ours are sitting and thinking, how do they get attention? So they say, well, maybe we'll argue that adaptive is the, is the best. The problem is with that is that you can design an experience that adaptive that's really bad. In of itself, adaptive is just one trait of a good learning experience. There's many other traits of a good learning experience. It mm. has to be easy to understand what am I doing in this environment. It has to guide me. It has to be engaging, relevant. It has to be well-designed, personalized, and adaptive. So the early thinking of the market was adaptive is what it is. Nowadays, we're thinking is that adaptive is just one trait of a high-quality learning experience, and there's, there's amongst others. And that's kind of we are one of the first companies who's saying, we're going to pivot away from calling this product an adaptive learning platform. It does allow you to create adaptive learning experiences. But we're going to create it and, and broaden it and say, no, this is a courseware development platform. Oh, what type of courseware? Sure, it's engagement, it's adaptive. It's, by the way, it's also cloud-based. And, you know, there's analytics, but I'm not calling it cloud-based learning platform. So it's a little bit how every buzzword that becomes, you know, online was to be a word, and now everything is online. Yeah. And then... Cloud was uh, uh, an important thing to say. Now everything is cloud. So adaptive kind of went through the similar trajectory. Mm. No, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's good insight. Um, the companies continue to grow. Uh, you've opened up uh, an office in San Fran and you're springboarding into the US and the North America via that. Um, are there any themes or trends that you see in the US that are kind of similar or different to, to what you experienced in Australia? There's, there are definitely similarities and there are definitely differences. First and foremost, the, uh, the U.S. Mar um, space market is just way bigger. 
it's just it's way bigger and uh, not all of not all of it is uh, public uh, so it's just uh, more uh, heterogeneous and bigger Australia is a simpler problem there's only 40 40 plus universities they are almost all of them the same type uh, in terms of like state-owned or state-based or public uh, non-profit institutions um, so, so there's the, the size and the scale first and foremost. Second is that Australian universities are actually bigger than most American universities, which yeah. is counterproductive, right? There's way more American universities, but they're smaller on average. Uh, so Australia has bigger campus universities. Um, but the similarities is that the problems people are trying to solve, there's definitely a focus on job readiness, uh, as a, as one drive towards digitization, uh, there is, amongst many other things, such as efficiency and, and, and quality of uh, and um, uh, uh, graduation rates. These are the common things. The difference is, is that the U.S. schools also face a challenge of tuition costs that is blowing beyond proportion. Yeah. Um, Australia yeah. has that uh, kind of it's a, a regulated uh, market. So in a, in a way, I think it's. I think it's better. It works better for Australia. So U.S. schools are, you know, charging amazing amount of of, of money from students, and then it's not clear that they're giving return. So there's a huge focus on on that in in, in the U.S. and also in the U.S. There's a, a inequality and achievement gap, and that it's a big problem. Uh, and and then what you heard from Bridget is exactly where where this this market is looking at. Is so they're looking for technology as a way to solve uh, some of those problems. Uh, Australia, we see uh, one notable example is that we see a huge focus on uh, solving for the, the need of international students. Uh, it's, a, it's an important factor of the economy. It's an important fact, factor of, of, uh, of the higher education space. And uh, it is not, uh, uh, it's not written in stone that international students would keep coming. So delivering yes. high quality... Uh, delivering high-quality, relevant solutions for international students is, is, is a driver in, in the Australian market, which is a bit less here, I would say, in, in America. Yeah. And you're right, the scale and the, the, the size of the student market in the U.S. is massive. And but I think it's the diversity and the heterogeneous yeah. and, and, uh, yeah. and the size and the, and the mm. yeah, it's a zoo. It's, it's a mess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so many businesses have tried to leap into that uh, uh, identification of prospective students and work that pipeline so that universities can maximise the number of folks in the front end of that pipe, whether or not they're the right folks coming into that pipe for enrolment and, uh, and admission is, is another question. But, uh, yeah, that the very fertile business environment that companies can get a piece of in the US in different areas. Um, where to next, Draw? What's um, next for Smart Sparrow? So for us, it's more of the same. Uh, we, you know, we are, we are very. Well, there's a huge room for growth here in the U.S. and in, mm. and in Australia for us. So we're not talking about uh, entering new markets right now. We are pretty happy where we are. Uh, and as usual, as any tech company, um, we we are you know always focused on delivering the best technology we can to our users. For us, it's about products. So what keeps me busy right now is. Um, Meeting the challenges and also uh, seizing the opportunity uh, that we see here uh, in, in the markets we're act really active in. 
uh, as well as uh, keep pushing as fast as fast as we can ahead ahead with our technology to not only delight our customers, of course, but also beat beat the competition. Draw, thank you for your time. Uh, your insights have been um, really interesting, and and I do wish you all uh, the best. Uh, and thank you for dialing in from the US. It's uh, different time of day, but I really appreciate all of your support. And um, mate, have a great week. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Bye. Have a great week.